Media. How you doing, everybody? The Chet Comic Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Course, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your host, Chet Comic and Lester Munson. Sports Court brought to you by the great people at American Taxi. You know, American Taxi is now, always has been Chicago's number one suburban taxi service. Make it a point. American Taxi is always the way you want to go. I'm joined by ESPN's uh, Hall of Famer, the legal <laughs> analyst, Mr. Lester Munson. This is yours truly, uh, Chet Kopic, often referred to as the godfather of uh, Chicago sports talk radio. And that in a buck will get you nowhere fast. <laughs> All right, uh, Lester, I find this to be rather uh, engaging. Over the weekend, uh, Nutrisystem made a very dramatic move. It uh, it dropped Lawrence Taylor off the payroll. My question is, why did Nutrisystem sign Lawrence Taylor to begin with? Can you imagine, here here is an organization that is devoted to health and taking good care of yourself, and they signed Lawrence Taylor. He was probably in the middle of maybe 72 hours of clean and sober life, and so they, th- they thought they would take a chance on him. Also, who knows how much he was getting from Nutrisystem. It could have been a very low-end uh, deal. Let me ask you this. Uh, based on what you know right now, uh, give me a feeling from the gut as to where uh, Taylor and this uh, alleged rape of uh, an underage girl is going to be, say, two months from now. He's going to be in real trouble two months from now. He's going to be looking to negotiate a plea on this, something that will either keep him out of jail or put him in jail only for a minimum period of time. The pimp is going to turn on him and become a prosecution witness. The middleman who made the call after talking to Taylor to the pimp to get the girl, he's going to turn on him. They're going to have two guys who are dubious characters, but it is Lawrence Taylor. So there's going to be evidence against them, and he's going to have to work out something. All right. Uh, right now I represent uh, Lawrence Taylor. I'll tell you what let's do. Uh, let's you and I go to the back room, and we'll cut a deal. Here we go. I'll give you... Uh Mm, I'll give you six months in the joint, in the orange jumpsuit, five years probation, uh, $50,000 fine, and I will agree to an amicable settlement with the uh, family, that being uh, the young lady and her uh, and her parents. Are you buying? Taylor should take that in a minute. He might be able to In other to words, do... I'm, way, I'm, I'm way too soft. You might be a little... Well, I think you're probably right on the money. Maybe he could get away with doing a little less time. And if you're Taylor, you want to worry about that probation time because when you're on probation and then you get arrested, you're going to have to do all those years. So he wants to reduce the probation time, maybe do another month or two in jail in return for a reduction in the time on probation. Gosh only knows over the years. I mean, you've been doing this for a long, long time. You have, you have covered more coddled athletes, more spoiled brat athletes than the law allows. But if you look at the track record of Lawrence Taylor, is there any single athlete who has been given more breaks, has skated under the eyes of uh, the so-called judicial system to the point of a Lawrence Taylor? No, I, I don't think so. This began when he was at Carolina. It has gone on through the years with the Giants. It goes on even now. There is no question that why he would think that he can get away with just about anything because he has over the years. There's no doubt about it. Even when he got in trouble on his taxes, even when he got in trouble on cocaine, 
even then, he never really had to face significant music or significant time. So he's been very fortunate. We may see the end of that right now. So now, if you're the uh, the judge who's going to preside over this case, what kind of pressure, knowing that the New York Post and the New York Daily News are probably going to have 15 reporters each covering this case? I mean, it's going to be like... It's going to be as crazy as it was with Marv Albert and the Dominatrix down in uh, Washington, <laughs> D.C., where I'm telling you, Lester, the New York Post sent, sent everybody but the copy boy down to cover that case. I sat behind the New York Post row full of people in that trial. Yeah, I, I, they were a Andrea wonderful Pacer, bunch of characters. Andrea Pacer wrote great stuff during she that did. trial. She did. <laughs> she really <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, she did. There's no doubt. The uh, If you're the judge there, the, the, the judges react to this in two different ways. Some of them are so incredibly impressed that they have a celebrity athlete in front of them, they do stupid things. We had the guy who asked Barry Bonds for his autograph during a child support oh hearing. We had another guy in Atlanta, a judge who asked Andrew Jones for an autograph during a paternity case hearing. A lot of judges are not accustomed to being around a famous athlete and they'll fall for him. This happens a lot. The other side of it is that if the judge is in any way independent, he will say, wait a minute, I'm going to show these people this guy has no influence over me and he might hammer him. So it's either going to be too little or too much. It'll be in one of those extremes. My friend uh, Jerry Reinsdorf and his uh, bid to uh, buy the Phoenix Coyotes. You just told me uh, before we uh, we launched today that uh, the deal has gone so far south it may as well be in Venezuela. The deal has been totally abandoned. This was an amazing deal that Reinsdorf pulled off. Even for him, the master of sports deal making, even for him, this was the best of the best. It was a phenomenal thing that he pulled off. He persuaded the city council, the elected alderman, of Glendale, Arizona, that's a suburb to the northwest of town. Mm-hmm. It's where the Cardinals Stadium right. is. And he persuaded them that they should help him buy the team from the National Hockey League, the current owner. He was going to pay about $160 million, and Glendale was going to pay $65 million of that. And in return for helping him on the purchase price, he was giving them absolutely nothing. Not one share of stock, not a partnership, so the, nothing. Reinsdorf was asking for a non-equity deal with the City Fathers? They, they would simply give him the money that he needed to buy the team, and on top of that, they were going to guarantee $100 million in operating expenses over five years, $20 million per year. So he was basically putting up next to nothing for the team, and what little money real money was going into it came from Glendale. Taxpayer money that was extracted from the people who live in Glendale from their real estate taxes. You know, Lester, look at look at Jerry Reinsdorf, and I recall vividly January of 1981 being at the press conference at uh, uh, the O'Hare Hyatt Regency when uh, Jerry and Eddie Einhorn took the keys from uh, Bill Veck and bought the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox the Bulls. I was in Indianapolis emceeing the NBA Slam Dunk Contest in 85, the weekend that Jerry wrapped up the deal to buy uh, the Bulls from John Cobra. Uh, I told him, by the way, at $10 bucks, I thought he had completely overpaid. <laughs> Shows you what Shows I you know. <laughs> That's right. The United Center, uh, the deal he put together with the uh, Illinois Sports Facility uh, Authority to, uh, to construct a U.S. cellular field, whether you like it or not, Tell me how the historians are going to look back on, on Jerry Reinsdorf 20 years from now. 
I believe uh, we will all, historians and everybody, will look back on him as the master of extracting taxpayer money for the benefit of himself and his fellow investors. The U.S. cellular deal is the model lease for anybody who is running a team in a public stadium. It, it is every owner's dream to have a lease like he put together with U.S. Cellular. The deal that he made on behalf of Major League Baseball to put the Nationals in D.C. with basically a free stadium to play their games in, that is also a model deal. And if he'd pulled off this Coyotes thing, he would have been in the Deal Makers Hall of Fame. Somehow, somebody in Glendale caught on. But this guy knows more about how to extract taxpayer money from cities, from states, to do what he wants to do. He, he is the absolute master, the best. So are you saying that uh, inch for inch, pound for pound, in the great scheme of life, you would have to rank Jerry Reinsdorf above George Steinbrenner as a deal maker? I don't have any doubt about it. Uh, the, the, Steinbrenner's made a couple of deals. Reinsdorf has a whole pattern of these things. You go back through what he did on spring training facilities, that's better than anything Steinbrenner ever did. And we've got Cellular Field, we've got the stadium for the Nationals in D.C., we have the near miss on the Coyotes. He has really done some amazing things. The United Center Project, that was private money, but he owns half of that with the Wurtz family. That's going to be a bonanza when they decide to sell that. Uh, George McCaskey. About to uh, step in and replace uh, his brother, uh, Michael, as uh, chairman of the board of the Chicago Bears. Um, Lester, can you tell us in, oh, say, 15 words or less what that job entails? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure it involves a whole lot. They have a lot of other people taking care of business there, and the chairman uh, probably just wanders through the office to make sure Ted Phillips and Jerry Angelo are showing up. I mean, I, 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 I saw someone mention that, you know, uh, part of... Uh, Part of George's duties, and I, and I know George, and I, I like George. He was in charge of uh, uh, their ticket office for years and years. But they said he will be he will be very active in in legal affairs. Well, the league has about the league has about three or four meetings a year. Now, the McCaskey name is going to carry you know some cachet with it. But right now, if I'm if I'm Robert Kraft or if I'm the Rooney family in Pittsburgh, I'm looking and saying, kid. Go to the back of the room. We'll call you when we need you. Yeah, I doubt that he could get a return phone call from anybody in the NFL office right now. Maybe because he is a McCaskey, they would call him back a few days later. But no, he's not. He he is a he he is another recovering lawyer like me. I like that part of George. He's a very nice guy. Uh, Woody Allen was the one who said 90% of the job is showing up. I think with George, it's the reverse. 10% of the job is showing up. 90% is staying away. It's a different deal. You know, I'll always reflect. I mean, you know, and Michael McCaskey knows this. 100 years from now, when you mention the name Michael McCaskey, people are going to say he was the guy who botched the hiring of Dave McGinnis. He was the guy who announced the press conference, told Brian Harlan, now a prominent sports agent, call the news conference. Dave McGinnis is our brand new head coach. There was only one problem. McGinnis hadn't agreed to a deal. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And here's a guy that wanted to work for the Bears. In His the worst dream way. job was head coach of the Bears. He would have undersold himself, even with a guy willing to come and take the job at a bargain basement rate. Michael McCaskey couldn't, couldn't put it together. You know, Lester, what really killed that deal was they, they wouldn't guarantee McGinnis a third year. So as a result, when he went to try to hire quality assistants, he had Mike Martz at that time. Now we're going back to 99. Martz would have come in as the Bears offensive coordinator, but as Dave told me, he said, he said, 
Martz wasn't going to come in for a two-year deal. No, who would? I mean, now the three years is a standard thing. Sometimes they're even longer. If that's what held it up, then then McCaskey looks even worse than just with a premature announcement. Hey, back to uh, Arizona for a moment. Uh, the hue and cry about immigration and uh, the prospect of a great deal of profiling going on. What's your level of empathy for the Latin American ball player? I am concerned about what they're doing in Arizona. I don't like what the uh, what the legislature did. Uh, there, there's a, a a dozen things wrong with it. Some legal, some social. And if you're a Hispanic player in baseball, you have to take a stand on this. I'm delighted that the union decided that they would take the uh, point of view of the Latin players and do something about this. Um, I'm in an organization, the Sports Lawyers Association. We're supposed to have a meeting there in a couple of weeks. I think we're thinking about changing the location of the meeting. But so it's it's a serious issue, and it's it's there are two solid points of view on it. And Arizona has just decided that's what they're going to do. What kind of embarrassment emerges if the Major League Baseball Players Association all of a sudden decides next Tuesday to flex its muscles and say, "We will not compete in the All Star Game unless you move." Well, th- that's the kind of thing the union is there to do. They have a serious issue here. I'm sure they're they're considering that idea right now. Michael Weiner knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, both the staff and the membership are looking at that. And I, my guess is something's going to happen there, but we'll see. All right, my friend, uh, back here in Chicago. Uh, Lester, so far, and I want you to take your time with this and really, you know, uh, enunciate and amplify uh What's impressed you most so far this year with the Ramos Ramirez? You know what? You know what? Honest to gosh, I don't think he'll see the Mendoza line before the All-Star break. Oh, boy. He looks terrible. I just hope you're wrong. He does look terrible. The at-bats are getting worse. Uh, And here's a guy who is a seriously good baseball player. What has happened? I I, I don't know. I wish I knew, and I hope you're wrong. I hope he starts to come around, but it it doesn't look like it. Meanwhile, as a guy who bleeds cubby blue, what was your thought yesterday when uh, Lou Piniella uh, goes uh, lumbering out to the mound at Great American Ballpark and says to his starter, Ryan Dempster, all right, pal, it's it's your game to win or lose, and uh, Dempster is a right-hander, and here comes Joey Votto, who swings from the left side, and Bob Brenly is saying on the air, you know what, I really don't buy this move. They had Sean Marshall, a left-hander, warmed right. up and ready to go, and Votto takes Dempster deep. Lester, those are the kind of moves that don't impress new ownership. There's no question about it. That's exactly the kind of move the man- the Brewers manager was doing, and the Cubs were ridiculing everything he was doing, and now Pinella is copying the wrong guy. I, what was going through his mind? Try to make Ryan Dempster feel better? Ryan Dempster is a total pro. He's got the best attitude of anybody on the team. I don't think you have to worry about his feelings. Lester. You know as well as I do, it was very simply a cubby occurrence. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that happens to people who wear cubby uniforms. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kopik. This has been Sports Court, brought to you by the marvelous people at American Taxi. Remember, you people in the suburbs, there's only one way to go. For comfort, the economic factor, for courtesy, you always want to ride American Taxi. Lester and I will catch you next time around along with our tech man, Dan Levy. So long, everybody.